Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly, realizing that you're the one in charge and you are the one managing our lives in their every detail. And I pray, Father, that we would recognize that always and be thankful for all things, knowing that you are the one who is sovereign. Father, please watch over our group today as we open your word together in Paul's great letter to the Thessalonians, and may it be a great blessing to us indeed. So, Father, we look forward now to uh, this meeting, and uh, in Christ's name, amen. Today we continue on in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and uh, you'll see as I proceed today how much of a blessing this letter is to me personally and has been for so many years and it really seemed right uh, philippians uh, is such a great blessing as well just finished that as you all know and uh, it was a challenge to know what to look into next year on sunday morning but it just seems increasingly clear to me that the letters to the thessalonians were very appropriate and and would be uh, become, if they're not already, uh, a great, great blessing to you. And I sure pray that that will be true. Um, as we shared in our last fellowship here, these two letters, the first and the second to the Thessalonians, are the only letters that Paul wrote where there's really no harsh words to be found at all, only praise and thanksgiving. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't write about serious issues, and uh, he says some very strong things about uh, those that opposed his ministry and about those who refuse to believe the gospel. Very harsh words, but um, regarding the Thessalonian believers, he has only praise and thanksgiving that's most remarkable to see that he remember from philippians where uh it was a little less <laughs> less positive sometimes as he uh, dealt with specific issues there in the church at philippi not that the church of the philippians was a church with many many problems it seems that it was not but they certainly were living under trying times and great persecution, and uh, uh, that would pose a constant challenge for the believers. And uh, Paul is very highly focused on what it means really to live like a Christian should live and to honor the Lord. And so uh, he gives some very strong exhortations there in the Philippian letter. In the Thessalonian letters, he does the same. It's just that there's sort of a different uh, character to it. There's much, much thanksgiving and praise here, and uh, the letter really does stand out in that way. Last time, we looked carefully into the first chapter of the first letter, and uh, I'll give a quick overview now. And... Uh, if that's possible. <laughs> Sometimes my overviews take half the time available, I'm sorry to say. 
but that's the way it goes. Um, we saw last time we met in uh, the beginning of the first chapter how Paul's greeting there was very multifaceted. He he starts out emphasizing grace and peace and uh, very quickly moves on to the subject at hand. Uh, he calls these uh, believers <laughs> saints, right? And, and that they're in Christ Jesus. And there, there's so much uh, there that we could spe- spend more time to uh, to discuss, but we will just move ahead today. But grace and peace go together. And uh, it's that way, whether we're talking about salvation, according to God's word through Paul, I mean, we're we're under grace, we're saved um, by grace through faith alone, right? And the peace of God is uh, something that's granted to us at that time, right? And and yet, as we live our lives, we're constantly challenged, right, by the world and by our enemies. And uh, we may not live in the realm of grace. We may not uh, receive the abundance of grace. That's a challenge. And it's a great privilege to do so, but it's a challenge, right? And the peace of God that passes all understanding is available to us, whatever the circumstances of life are that we find ourselves in. So grace and peace go together, both in reference to our salvation and in reference to our living out of this life. And so that's how he opens the letter. Um, there are words that that I said before a few times are really uh, summarizing sort of the whole, in a sense, the whole Christian life, right? Paul says in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, these words, he says, and he's talking here about um, how he remembered the Thessalonians. Remember, he was only there for, for uh, about three and a half weeks. Uh, we'll read from the book of Acts uh, how that began, how that ministry in Thessalonica began in just a moment. But um, what Paul writes in verse 3 as he thinks back on those days, and his time there with the believers in Thessalonica. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Knowing your election of God. So what Paul communicates in those, not only powerful but they're beautiful words right your work of faith your labor of love and your patience of hope what he does is there is so well as to characterize the entire christian life right as it's supposed to be at least as as this church demonstrated it to be indeed they are a church which should be called normal or typical right Uh, it is not as common, however, as uh, we and the Lord God would like it to be in the world in which we live, right? But that's uh, what Paul sees the Thessalonian church to be. He has such confidence, and that forms a very commanding theme in this letter, his confidence. His confidence was, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that, that carried through every aspect of his life and ministry. 
and it gave him an assurance and that assurance it really is communicated i do believe in every line and every sentence in every word of this letter his assurance and confidence in the work of the lord god through his church the body of christ so that should be a very strong encouragement to us and as we reflect on our own lives our own walk with the lord thinking back to the very beginning you know when uh, we first came to know the lord personally through saving faith just thinking back on that and seeing how the lord intersected with our lives in so many ways and even though we didn't even know where we were <laughs> where we were walking the lord knew and he was guiding and directing and he was was faithful then to bring us where we are today so we're supposed to think back when we read these words. When Paul says, remembering, he's thinking back. He wants then the Thessalonians, when they read or hear this read, to think back, right, on the beginning, their beginning, spiritually speaking. And he wants us, when we hear these words, to think back how God worked personally in our own lives. Then in the next verses there, Paul writes about how he hasn't forgotten all that the Lord did. So when he when he came to Thessalonica, the Lord was doing a great work. And he says here, I haven't forgotten anything about that. It's very much on my mind how you, <laughs> you unregenerate sinners, right, <laughs> had received the word of the Lord. Now, many of them were Jewish proselytes, so they were already in the synagogue. Remember, that's where he went first to preach. But they did not know Christ as their Messiah. They were waiting maybe for Messiah, but they didn't know him as Messiah. And so uh, they still needed a personal salvation. And uh, that's what Paul offered them when he preached the gospel, right? And then they came under persecution. And that's what those first verse, verses uh, that follow the salutation are all about there in, uh, in, in the first chapter. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you were examples to all, that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So Paul is saying there basically, when I'm on my missionary journeys and when I went forth from Thessalonica, the word had already gotten out to these other places, as to the great transforming work of God in Thessalonica, right? Because they were witnesses. They became examples. They became the typical church. That word in samples there in the King James is the translation of the uh, Greek word type, tupos, type. They were types. Um, this was the typical, typical church, as it were, right? Uh, and uh, God was working a great work, and everyone came to know. The rumors were were uh, already uh, spread abroad. They were good rumors, indeed. However, 
those that would oppose the gospel were ready and waiting, and uh, great persecution would follow. And then the last verses in chapter 1 are about the return of the Lord. And every chapter in both 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians ends with a statement about the return of the Lord. And most of these verses are about the rapture itself. Okay, In other words, the Lord returns for us, and he will catch us up to meet him and uh, then ultimately to be in heaven's glory before uh, Israel again becomes the center focus and the tribulation period begins. And then after that, the seven-year period, the return of the Lord to establish his 1,000-year kingdom and to present Israel with their inheritance, right, which was an earthly inheritance as had been promised so often to them. Okay, so that that's chapter one uh, of First Thessalonians. Now today we move into chapter two, and uh, we're just going to look at uh, the first twelve verses. I I had thought we would look at all twenty verses, but I realized there was too much uh, blessing here to miss. <laughs> we might miss the blessing if we went too quickly. So we're going to slow down and look more carefully at these twelve verses. First, we'll see a focus on the gospel, its value and consequence. The gospel, its value and consequence. And then the focus will shift slightly only to Paul's sacred ministry in Thessalonica. It doesn't really shift entirely. It's still the same. The focus is on the gospel, its value and consequence. But now Paul becomes... He becomes very, very personal in his uh, desire to share his great blessing in knowing the Lord with the Thessalonians. Uh, Remember, he was only there for three and a half weeks. How much teaching could be done in three and a half weeks? He did what he could. And now he writes these letters. And this, this letter here, the first letter, is the first New Testament document probably that was written. The only one that might have been earlier is the letter by James, but probably not even as early as this. So the first letter to Thessalonians, the first letter written in the New Testament. The Gospels didn't exist. The book of Acts didn't exist and so forth at this time. So, okay, so first of all, the gospel, its value and consequence. And what Paul is going to do here is to recall the beginning uh, again when he uh, first came into the city of Thessalonica. And uh, I love these verses. I mean, you can tell from the way I'm discussing them. They may be new to you. If they are, I pray that you will love them as I do and that they'll be life-changing. They have certainly been for for us. Okay, uh, let's have the reading then, first of all, um, to get us started here by Patty, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, 
We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Okay, thank you, honey. Oh, <clears throat> I could spend the whole time just on these verses, really. It would be so <laughs> straightforward, so natural, really, maybe so beneficial to do so. But we'll go beyond this, Lord willing, as we move ahead here through these great statements by the Apostle Paul. Um, <laughs> Paul says, like he did a little earlier, right, in chapter 1. In fact, the outline of chapter 1 is much like the outline of chapter 2. There's quite similar, similar themes. Some of the commentators uh, uh, outline these two chapters in the identically same way. I, I'm not doing that, but uh, they have, and, it's, and there's certainly those themes presented there in the same basic order in both chapters. Um, so he says here in verse 1, remember again, right? for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. Okay, so just he says it's very simple. Uh, you all, at least most of those who will hear this letter read, at least many of them, were there at the time. I mean, they knew exactly, they remembered perfectly what it was like when Paul came to the city of Thessalonica. And we're going to read a little bit about it from the book of Acts, chapter 17, in just a moment. But uh, what I first want to say is simply this, that the key word here, I think, in, in, in this uh, in this section um, is, is really <laughs> probably, I mean, there are several key words, but I'd say... <laughs> The focus is on how how Paul came to them, right? And so I think the, the, the key word is the word in verse 2 there, bold, bold, bold. Paul was bold, and that stood out. Um, I'm sure they found it just quite amazing that someone would come, first of all, into the synagogue preaching things that they had never heard before, right? And this, this man would speak with such boldness. It was as if he knew the Lord God personally. It was as if he knew the ascended and res, you know, resurrected and ascended Christ perfectly and personally himself, right? It was as if he'd been caught into the third heavens. Of course, he had. All these things were true <laughs> of Paul, right? And he spoke, therefore, with boldness, even though, as it says here, he had suffered so greatly before. The persecution in Philippi, Philippi was before Berea, Berea was before Thessalonica. Okay, there's one other town there of, of lesser note. Uh, so in Philippi, I mean, he basically was thrown out of Philippi, right, uh, because of the opposition against the gospel. Uh, however, what he left behind in Philippi was a 
band of believers, <laughs> right? And they were going to be central then in the ministry of the gospel in that area. So Paul suffered greatly. Uh, he left quickly, ended up in Thessalonica after a while. And it says, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention <laughs> and this contention is the opposition i believe to the preaching it's not that paul was contentious it's just that there was great opposition right that developed rather quickly and uh, we'll see exactly how that happened but he nevertheless was bold he says but not humanly speaking but he says in our god and the reason was that he had something they needed to hear. It was essential that they hear it, without which they could not be saved. They must hear it. And that was the gospel, he says, of, of God. Okay, and then verse 4. Uh, it's a wonderful verse, and uh, I'll say more about uh, that in, uh, in just uh, a moment. Um, but first, let's read... Uh, Gail, if you would, please, uh, chapter 17 in the book of Acts, verses 1 through 5. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, excuse me, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Okay, thank you, Gail. So here you see the, the history of how it was when Paul came into Thessalonica. And uh, what does he do? He goes to the synagogue, right? And uh, when the time came for it to be an open forum, which it always was there in the synagogue, uh, any... Uh, man who was of a certain age would be allowed to speak and so when the time came paul spoke right up right says his as his manner was <laughs> right uh what does he do he reasoned with them out of the scriptures alleging that and you know that's with boldness as he said in the letter to the thessalonians with boldness that christ must needs have suffered in other words it was absolutely essential according to the redemptive plan of God and according to the Old Testament, which he was quoting from there, that Israel's Messiah would suffer. I'm sure he was reading from Isaiah 53, for example, <laughs> and other places, right? But in the synagogue, they had not focused on those verses and they did not uh, want to. <laughs> For the most part, but some had their ears open that day that indeed Jesus was the promised one and he was their Messiah. And uh, that was absolutely proven 
uh, without question by his resurrection from the dead, right? It says some of them believed and they immediately joined up with Paul and Silas. And it says of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. So there was a great revival there, mostly not Jews. There were Greeks. Okay, the, these are the, uh, the Gentiles who have aligned themselves with the Jews and have become Jewish proselytes. And, and they are there in the synagogue on uh, the Sabbath day, right, to hear the, the word of God read. It says also of the chief women, not a few. Okay. But the Jews which believe not. So the conflict uh, begins in Thessalonica. The truth goes forth, and many receive it, mostly Gentiles, right? But the Jews, for the most part, reject Paul's teaching. And uh, he will be ultimately leaving town quickly, right, as a result. Um, so Paul boldly preached Christ and did not consider the possible consequences. And uh, what were the possible consequences? Well, the greatest of all would be an early death, even his own martyrdom, right? Many suffered martyrdom down through the ages. Uh, I always have on my mind Tyndale, for example, right? Tyndale uh, boldly translated the Bible into English in the early 16th century when it was illegal in England because of the Edicts of Mary, uh, illegal to possess a copy of the Bible unless one was licensed, <laughs> licensed to have a Bible by the Roman Church. It was illegal, okay? And here's Tyndale not only possessing, but uh, publicizing it, right? Uh, he was ultimately strangled and then burned at the stake by the Roman Church. His dying words were that he hoped that soon in England, everyone, from even the lowliest servant to the uh, least educated of all, the plowman in the field, would be able to possess and read the word of God in the English language. Of course, uh, in Germany, uh, Luther had already uh, made that a possibility in the German language, right? And uh, Tyndale was greatly influenced by Martin Luther in that regard, okay? So Tyndale, along with hundreds of others, were killed for their faith and their bold opposition to the rule of the Pope. They, they did indeed truly follow Paul's footsteps in that regard. You can read about this and should, in the great book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, one of the three books that uh, a century later, everyone who had any means at all would possess. There were three books that they would possess. First of all, the Bible, and it was the King James eventually that they would possess. Secondly, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And thirdly, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Their view of the faith was that witness was absolutely crucial to the faith. Uh, 
and each believer had responsibility in that regard, even if it led to martyrdom. And when we read about uh, testimony here, as I mentioned before, uh, witness, the word witness is a translation of the Greek word martyr, which from which we get our word martyr. Okay, so such a difference today. The churches today focus on harmony and fitting in and uh, having an open door for most everything. And uh, it's just really uh, a sad, sad, sad thing indeed. Um, the church subservient is what I see today, not the church triumphant. The church is a social gathering, not a heavenly organism fed by the uh, living word of God. And last but not least, the gospel as a rule of how to have a better life is not as the gateway truth for heaven and eternal life. And uh, the very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. So there's such a weakness in the church today. It's just appalling. Okay, and you see that reflected in the nations uh, of uh, the world that were once uh, far more uh, oriented to the truth of God than they are today. Okay, so let's go on. Verses 3 and 4. Um speak of how Paul ministered, right? Uh, and um, that that verse there is, is very important to me, very special. He says, Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, uh, even so we speak not as pleasing men. Um, oh, my. Um why is, are these verses so special to me? Well, because the first day in seminary, uh, the chapel speaker focused on these verses. I'm never going to forget it because it was actually the theme uh, of the seminary itself. <laughs> Verse 4 was the theme of the seminary. Uh, allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. And those are such personal words for me as a result. Um, what, what Paul is saying is that because of this, God was the judge of his ministry and, and no man, basically. And uh, he would follow through in promoting that gospel no matter what, right? Um, I hope those that uh, were fellow students of mine there uh, at the time were all uh, equally uh, challenged and took these words to heart, as, of course, we all should, right? And may they be the foundation stone of our living uh, for the Lord. Again, those words are, allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. The word allowed really is a translation of a word that speaks of uh, a testing, but a, a testing that brings positive results. So basically proven by God and therefore with the privilege indeed, right, to share the gospel with those that God brings us in contact with. Now, Paul talks over and over again here, you notice, about how it was, what his manner of life was. And 
And we're going to look at that much more now as we get into the next verses. But uh, this isn't Paul boasting about himself, saying, I was really a great guy. I was so gentle and kind and uh, sacrificial. And uh, you all remember that. No, it's how God worked through Paul. That's his message, right? It was God who humbled Paul, in other words. So let's go on. Um, the second part here, Paul's sacred ministry in Thessalonica and how all had come to know it. And now, as he recalls this and is teaching them in the first letter by analogies. OK, and those analogies really are powerful. And I think you'll find them to be so. Uh, I certainly have. The key words here are witness, nurse and father. Okay. Um, in a moment, I'll ask Roy to read, but uh, but first of all, um, the, the apostles teaching here recalls to all of our minds how important it is that we were raised in families. Okay. With mothers, with fathers, right? I don't mean each of us had multiple, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, our mothers were so important. Our fathers were so important. Uh, and, uh, and they communicate through a shared common experience. So when Paul writes about this now, we all think back, right? We all recall that we can't help it. Uh, he's using words for a purpose, and the Holy Spirit has chosen these words, that the words he shares here would be powerful for all. And it's not that at that time, all the families were whole and the mothers were loving and the fathers were loving and all were was well in the home. <laughs> uh, not so. I don't believe it was that much different then than now, probably, uh, maybe in superficial ways. But um, but even in broken families, those uh, that are harmed even so thoroughly by that, they wish they had what others do have, right? They only wish if they knew their father, what a difference it would make. If they knew their parents, their birth parents, ah, how great that would be. Uh, maybe this is just idealism, but I think it's built into the human spirit and soul to uh, naturally respect one's parents who we would assume would love uh, their offspring, right? Uh, so that's uh, something that I think Paul is uh, speaking directly to here. This desire for completeness for a human per person that relates us to our ancestors, right? Especially our parents. Um, it's built into the way the human heart is made, right? So how does Paul rely on analogies now as we look into this uh, Roy, would you please read verses 5 and 6 for us? For neither at any time we use flattering words, as we know, nor a cloakness of covetousness, God is witnessed, nor of men sought glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome, as the apostles of Christ. Thank you, Roy. And now continuing on, um, Lisa, would you read verses 7 and 8, please? 
but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Thank you, Lisa. I, I just find these verses really, uh, really humbling. Just think about this. Here's Paul, comes to town. Uh, <clears throat> he's humbled in various ways from his past ex- experience, and yet now he's bold to impart the gospel. But as he says, uh, also our own souls because you were dear unto us and dear the way the way one's children is to their mother right it, or uh, in this case he mentions the nurse so this is the nursing mother or or another who's nursing even as a nurse cherisheth her children we were gentle among you and wanting only the best right so willing also to give of you of our own innermost being, our own souls, our own hearts. You were that dear to us, he says. Wow, that's a precious thing, isn't it? Um, again, he refers to his own self-sacrifice and compares to that, and everybody would think of that, the mother and the child, right? And later he'll refer to the father and the child. Uh, Similar analogy. Okay, well, apparently nobody there could deny this who was there at the time, because if they had, uh, they would have caused a great uproar if Paul were not telling the truth. He's very bold to share it this way, I think, because he knows they all were well aware of uh, how he had been humbled in their midst in this way, right? So what a what a precious thing that is. Uh, let's continue though. Um, Charlie, would you uh, remember or read for us? Sorry, read for us uh, chapter two verses nine through twelve. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy, holy, and justly, and unblameably. We have behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. He would walk worthy of God who called you unto his kingdom and glory. Thank you, Charlie. Well, as a father does his children, right? Um, well, if only fathers would... <laughs> would um, Exhort and comfort their children the way uh, Paul did. I guess he is our example, right? And uh, what was Paul's goal? It was that that they would walk worthily of God who had called them unto his kingdom and glory. Okay. Oh, my. Uh, I'm going to ask Linda to read now. From another place, this is from Paul's first letter to Corinthians, but uh, concerning uh, this calling and what it means, and it's several dimensions, uh, Linda, would you please read in from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor coveters, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> well, just a quick comment on this. Uh, um, many go to this passage to teach some sort of false doctrine about believers and so forth that isn't isn't accurate at all. But the Corinthian church was the one most beset with uh, worldliness and evil of all the churches. And when Paul writes this here to them, uh, he makes the long list, right? And I mean, you might say to yourself, wait a minute now, uh, what side of the fence am I on here? He Notice he says, covetous, uh, hmm, uh, idolaters, and you see this, okay. Uh, <clears throat> and some of the other things you might say, oh, well, I've never been that, but uh, what are you still, okay? But Paul is not saying that we aren't tempted in various ways. But he, it, what he is saying is strongly said in verse 11. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, yes, the works of the flesh will continue in us, but praise God, the fruit of the Spirit is available and freely offered, right? And may we live in the realm of that new nature and its desires and not in the realm of the flesh, right? Uh, so praise the Lord. Notice he says inheritance. Some have an inheritance, some do not. Some shall inherit, some will not, right? And uh, we have an inheritance waiting for us indeed if we know the Lord. Uh, I'll finish today with a verse from 2 Timothy. The last place Paul writes about the kingdom is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. He says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. So Paul writes of the kingdom of God in these various places, Often, but not much concerning the coming millennial kingdom, the kingdom on earth that will be established when Christ comes in his second coming, right? He doesn't write too much about that, but he does write about the kingdom of God that we are part of and the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom to into which we will be called, okay? That's a very, very special thing indeed for the church, uh, the body of Christ. Well, that brings us to the end of our time today, and uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I'm just going to read uh, two verses to close. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being desirously affectionate of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Well, you're all dear unto me, and uh, praise the Lord for the bond that has uh, bonded us together in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I hope these words become very special to you, if they haven't already. And uh, are there any questions uh, or comments before we close in prayer today? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer then, our Father, our Father. We are humbled by these words and uh, how special they are. Coming from this man who has also become so special to us because he's uh, unveiled the uh, Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And uh, Father, thank you that he's shed his blood for us, he died, paid the full penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. He's been risen and ascended and is seated at your right hand, Father. We thank you and praise you for that great, great work, and we are so appreciative of all that he's done for us, how he's transformed our lives uh, through this living relationship that we've been uh, brought into. Father, thank you for opening our eyes and our hearts. Thank you for your grace that transforms us also day by day and hour by hour. Thank you that we can rest and have peace, even the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Father, for each one that has joined with us and those that will listen later using uh, the media of the tech and technology of the Internet. And thank you, Father, for this time. And may we be enabled by your power to join together again soon. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen.